When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up? Yo, episode 25. 25, we're rolling in it. How many are we going to do? 1,000? Joe Rogan's know. at 1,200. <laughs> so, wow. We ever want to catch up? We're going to have to do two a week. All right, one a week. <laughs> How long do I think we'll go? I mean, we, we actually could talk about doing these more often, but that's, that's it for off the air. I got two main things that I mentioned last week that I wanted to rebring up today. Okay, is one of them that our state is completely on fire? And that's that a good point. We're burning to the ground as yeah, we speak. Yeah, so we just, we, you and I were just outside. I didn't realize. We went to our patio. My dog stepped on the thing and it kicked up just poof, yeah. a cloud of ash. Yeah, it's <laughs> insane. So I woke up today uh, for a, a text from a friend and a text from my sister, both saying, are you okay? Mm-hmm. Like, this is a weird coincidence. So I text them both, what's going on? They're like, sent me a map. And the evacuation zone for the fires of California is like brushing right up against our neighborhood. Yeah. So yeah, we're fine, but like we're very close to the you have to leave your house. It's not optional zone. If anything happened to our apartment, given how centrally located it is, it would be beyond national news. Yeah. It would Los Angeles burns down. <laughs> like, yeah. So I think Dude, we're it's getting be okay. it's getting bad though. <laughs> yeah. Like LeBron, LeBron James had to evacuate his house. So a lot of the wealthy people live where they have lots of land and lots of space, Malibu, which yeah. is where these things occur. We do not live in that area. We live in a very central like downtown Santa Monica yes. area. If this burned, this would be uh, it would be Katrina levels of destruction, yeah, you yeah. know. So I don't think I don't think we're going to get to that point. But Katrina happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. It's doable. I was actually talking to our neighbor. She's like, uh, we were just talking about, do you think the fires are going to reach us? Yeah. This and that. What we decided was that we're okay from fires. It's San Andreas that's going to get us. Yes. Earthquakes will just separate us into the ocean. I hope Dwayne Johnson is president when we're- that <laughs> <laughs> So he can single-handedly go in and save Dwayne, everyone. Dwayne, you promised. <laughs> you saw- I watched the documentary. <laughs> You've been training for this. <laughs> you promised. Oh, I got too excited. The dog's gone. She's going to come sit with me now. Dog is back. We normally have dog sitters for these podcasts, but she's going to be here now. But anyway, I, let's, you want me to get her back? You can. No, she could sit for a minute if she sits, provided. But anyway, so we talked about Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. Last time, I hadn't read a ton of the or watched a ton of the hearing that he was yeah. in, and I went back. It's six hours long, but it's really more like four. I probably watched about three, and I got a lot to say. Yeah. The got clip you say. sent me is insane. Yes. So let's let's. Where do I start? Hold on, call her back one sec, because yeah. I don't want her Summer. back in the microphone. Here. Goodbye. Good girl. So one of the Sit. first things, this isn't yeah. the clip that he said. This or not that I, This is not the clip that I sent you, but Zuckerberg says they're talking about discrimination and redlining, which is the practice that uh, used to happen, still does happen, of 
discriminating against certain areas, zip codes, and races when it comes to housing, insurance, selling of various things. Yeah. And the motivations historically have been variable. On the one hand, there's just pure racism, which is I don't want to work with this color person. Sure. On the other hand is ensuring this neighborhood is a losing business proposition, right? Mm-hmm. So for, for varying reasons, redlining is, is illegal to do. You cannot discriminate based on uh, the basis of zip code or race. You can't base your insurance rates on gun violence? Uh, you cannot, yeah, there's, there's interesting laws, which is where discrimination and this is kind of what I wanted to bring up market awareness. I don't know, like trying, trying to sell to the market. Forget race. If my, if I'm an insurance company and I have to price insurance, Mm -hmm. I would assume that I get to ask the natural disaster rate, the violent crime rate, the homelessness rate, the vandalism rate. So it's particular for, every neighborhood. for everyone. No? But the thing that I didn't know, you can't, for instance, I don't know insurance, but the one thing they brought up is if you're a landlord, one of the things that Facebook was accused of and they had to settle with, with one of these ACLUs or something like that was they have this option on their platform where you can say the age or you used to. They've now taken it out. And what people were doing were for housing, they were they were limiting. They didn't want people above a certain age. For whatever reason, they decided the young people could pay more, were better tenants or whatever. And you could imagine this easily going the other way. I experienced this in college where it was tough as a student to get certain types of housing sure. because they didn't want students. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they wanted with families. Good reason. With great reason. With good reason. Which I have found out is apparently illegal. And so Facebook had to settle because they had that ability. People were using what they were using all over the platform, which is, no, I want to sell NFL stuff to men who are 25 to 40 or whatever it is, yeah, yeah. maybe even older. Golf stuff to men who are 50 and above, sure. right? So they've limited the age option heavily, hmm. and they had to settle for that. But Zuckerberg says, while they're grilling him on this, it's been against our policy to use our ad products to discriminate, which just made me go, wait a second, hold the phone. We need to have a bigger discussion. That's the entire value of your platform. Yeah, yeah. Is the ability to discriminate between different types of likes, dislikes, yeah, ages. Yeah. If I'm selling yeah. football apparel. I only want to show it to people that have clicked like on the NFL. You want to discriminate everyone who isn't interested in the NFL. Yeah, that's and the whole point. And so what's what's happened? I realize in society does is, discrimination mean only age race gender no so this is the issue it's that it hasn't been clearly defined i think legally now legally they say you and that you can't discriminate on the base of uh age race gender sexual orientation but this is a consistently expanding class of things and, mm. and trans issues have have brought this up but this idea that i think people need to come back to the word discrimination and be like okay we're all cool with discrimination we're all cool with this. Like when you say no, I don't want to go on a date with you because any your reason, height, <laughs> the way your face looks, I don't like your personality. Yeah. <laughs> That's a discriminatory decision. Well, I, I wonder if they're not going to define it as discri- like discrimination is only for certain things, race. So they age, do whatever they do. The problem is that there's this cultural and Mark Zuckerberg did this, said this as well. Pretension that discrimination writ large is bad and we don't want it. Mm-hmm. But I think what he needs to say is our ad platform was designed to discriminate, but we will not discriminate on these legal categories, which you've blocked us from doing. Or what's hard and subjective is we won't discriminate negatively. But if I sell dresses, what is negatively? Here's the thing. If I sell dresses, (laughs) I want an ad platform that will discriminate and not show them to men. 
except some men might want dresses, right? I guess, yeah. <laughs> so this is this is what's being bumped. You know up what against. though, as a business, you're willing to lose those fringe customers because that's course. a bad that is a bad bet, even if there is a certain percentage of the population. So this is the issue that they kept coming up against, and I felt like nobody was cutting to the core of it. They were all agreeing that discrimination is bad, while not acknowledging that. The reason that businesses come to Facebook is because it discriminates better than television. Yeah. Because you can you can filter down. It's better than a billboard. It's better than this. In fact, every kind of marketing that isn't marketed to every human soul on the planet is discriminatory. If I buy a billboard on one highway and not another highway, that's a discriminatory practice. Yeah, you're going to aim on it for a neighborhood that you think is going to have more of your potential and customers. And guess what? That may or may not be predominantly white, black, Hispanic, or otherwise. Sure. So that could be discrimination. And I think that nobody, at least in this hearing, was acknowledging the difficulty that discrimination raises in mm -hmm. that we're trying to allow for some discrimination, but not for discrimination that we deem to be societally unjust or uh, not of maximum good or even just historically we're trying to, to, yeah. to tip the scales and nobody said this they all just agreed that discrimination is bad while mark zuckerberg sits there with an ad platform that lets you <laughs> likes this doesn't like this does want this and i think it's a serious problem that people are going to have to confront uh so that was that was just the first thought that i had while watching them is that they were really missing the entire value of the Facebook platform yeah, yeah. is that it lets you discriminate. And I'd never thought because this, it, I was, when we were discriminated against and I didn't take this, I didn't take this personally. I'm not saying someone shouldn't in college and it was hard to get housing and we had to pay extra money for housing because we were students who were more likely to be rowdy. That made sense to me. Sure. I didn't like it. Uh, yeah, I had to get a guarantor when I was 21 and I had an investment banking job with plenty of my income to the rent ratio was ridiculous. But they went, you're 21. We mm -hmm. don't trust you. And you need to get an adult yeah. to be on your. And I was like, I am an adult. I'm 21 and I have a full time job. Mm -hmm. like, no, we won't rent to you unless two of the parents of you and one of your roommates sign on to pay for everything. If you go defunct or whatever, I was like, so well, this it's definitely age discrimination. Yeah. Well, that may be legal in certain businesses, and I'm not sure where the legality is, but it seems to me the problem is that Mark Zuckerberg has a platform, and he's not the one who's demanding this sort of honed-in targeting. It's the businesses sure. everywhere. And if you stop, because I know my brother does this, the ability, he sells sunglasses, and it's mostly black people who buy them. They're, yeah. they're just a brand that looks like that's it's just, what they it's the want. style they like. It's the style that, that they most often like. And he'll he, lose money if they force him to show it to everybody and exactly. not just the so they, target audience. So they didn't collect race, but what he does is he goes for uh look alike audience that are still going to be predominantly black. So he searches yeah, for likes or activity or whatever. So there's still this practice occurring and it's not nefarious. It's not yeah. he's selling sunglasses. And if, and if you're hate, white he doesn't hate white people. If you're white and you want to buy him, you can. He's <laughs> just not trying to show you his ad. Exactly. Yeah. So I, we've missed okay so you took age out there's just gonna be proxies for age there's just gonna be proxies for this, this like matlock so i think that there needs to be a bigger discussion facebook is merely the middleman you know people came to facebook because they had this capability and if they lost this capability they wouldn't go to facebook so they're just going to use workarounds on facebook to get their product in front of people that they most want to sell it to or yeah. think are most likely to buy. So, well, can we, we've gone deep on business, but I want to transition this. Yeah. Can we talk about how, in general, a lot of the people asking him questions clearly have no idea what's happening? So this was the other thing that I was stunned by. I don't know that this is true in most workplaces, but the diversity of expertise, and I would say what you might call raw intelligence in Congress, 
I've never really sat and watched a whole hearing, and I was stunned. Yeah. I don't know many workplaces where people of the same role have such a variety of backgrounds and of what I would consider raw horsepower. Yeah, yeah. It was shocking that they're all, they all get one vote. And I really thought, I'm curious what you think. At first, I was like, oh, this is a bummer. But then I went, well, they're supposed to be representative <laughs> of yeah. the American population. Well, the one thing I thought was interesting. So why is he in front of Congress? So this, he was there for Libra and Calibra, right. which is what he calls a payment platform where Facebook is trying to make it so that you can send money essentially via their messenger. Yeah. And some people were very interested in how, how should this be regulated? Is this a bank? Is this a, what is this? Well, you're getting at what I was getting at, which is he's there to talk about his potential cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. Is he becoming a bank? He's releasing a financial product. But the way Congress works, what I didn't realize, is that every person gets yeah. five minutes to do whatever they want. Yeah. They do not have to ask. So he's up there. He's like, hey, I'm trying to get approved for crypto. Yeah. And someone can sit there and go, your haircut is stupid <laughs> and you're racist. <laughs> and he goes, thank you, Congressman. <laughs> because he is, what else is he going to do? Yeah. They do not have to talk about why he's there, which no. is fascinating. They don't have to, to ask him a question. They can, yeah. they can lecture They can just him. yell at him. They can lecture him. I was like, this is really how our government approves cryptocurrencies? They just well, find the founder and then scream at him about random stuff and then approve it? This I don't know that this was for approval. This was for first round sort of vetting, yeah. understanding. They wanted to talk to him. And some people did. But that was so... It's just so weird. It's like if you were at a company and you're like, I want to propose a new project. I want to propose that we expand into a different market. We go, great. Go talk to the CEO. And the CEO sits you down and goes, tell me about your dating life. And then scolds you about your dating decisions for an hour. Yeah. And then goes and he's still going to make a decision on your project, even though he hasn't heard anything about it. Like, that's the weird thing. These Congress people that are yelling at him mm -hmm. are still going to go approve his crypto. May or may not. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that. So that's there's there's a number of things that you brought up. The one that I, I don't know the answer to this. Do you want a governmental body made up of people that are higher expertise and more intelligent, more intelligent than the population or that are representative of the population and i actually don't know the answer to that question i think ideally you'd want more intelligent than the average population but and this is the impossible part has the best interests of the general population in mind i don't know that you can get that if they don't represent well that's what i'm saying that's what i'm saying <laughs> yeah it's impossible but that's your ideal because so if your ideal is that they have the best interests, then intelligence might not be the best factor to go off of because what somebody wants is of course related to their station and their experiences yes, in life and, 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 and the station of the, the people they love yes and so if they're more intelligent and all their friends are more intelligent and they they perceive problems as easily overcomable you know or, or we can solve this with yes. whatever they may not have solutions that work for the average person it might benefit those who are more intelligent and have higher expertise. yeah, yeah i agree uh, so I, I was like, there's a genius to this system. <laughs> there is some, there's an underlying, as much as it's upsetting to listen to him get grilled from somebody who truly does not understand this and is asking questions and he's answering them, but they don't understand his answers. Uh, it was fascinating. You all right? God bless you. Sneezed away from the mic. Hopefully that didn't pick up. The other thing that I think that I thought was interesting is, uh, that these Congress people don't seem to appreciate how big Facebook is and how diverse his responsibilities are. Yeah. I don't want to, we can move on from Zuckerberg, but no, some this, of the questions. Interesting philosophical well, questions. Well, some of the questions I was interesting, they're like, do you know how many women lawyers Facebook 
has hired. How many of the companies that you contract, you have, he says, how many lawyers do you have? He says, I don't know. I don't know. 60. How many of those businesses are run by women? He says, I don't know. You don't know? And yeah. it's like, do you, of so course do he doesn't guys, know. Mark Zuckerberg has a million responsibilities, <laughs> yeah. tons of employees. He does not run. There's a legal department yeah. inside Facebook. And this congressperson is going, how many female partners are at the law firms you hire? And he's going, I mean, you can't say this, but how do you think I would possibly know the answer to this? Well, he like, might also be thinking, which I thought, which is what relevance does it have? Like, you know, like well, if they're, her, if they're discriminating against women in their law firm, please go speak to them about that. But I did not choose these law firms because they were run by men. Ostensibly, I chose them because they did the best job yeah. that they that they could. Uh, or And I didn't choose them. My legal well, department Well, that's what I'm saying is, is she's trying to set up her case that she's trying to present and imply is that he is racist and sexist yeah that that's just a thread through my yeah. opinion of her questioning was that she was just trying to show that more than actually get any answers or anything like that and so how many women i don't know answer the question yes or no i don't know congresswoman yeah of course he doesn't know no ceo of a company that size should know how many lawyers they have let alone the gender of the lawyers that they've never interacted with and i just thought it was so interesting and detached or out of touch mm -hmm. to even ask that question i agree well that from that person's perspective i just sounded just like dave rubin there that's what he does i i agree <laughs> so from i from her perspective the most important thing is i mean diversity as it pertains to gender and race mm -hmm. uh not clearly diversity of opinion because she didn't ask about that and not diversity of of presumably sexual orientation would also be important to her but diversity amongst a handful of categories is the most important thing for her so she then assumes that it ought to be the most important thing for him and for him to not know that seems like a negligent job of the ceo because she imagines herself as ceo with those as her top priorities uh that's what i'm saying there's they just are so some of them seem to have not done the thinking of what does the life of the CEO of a trillion dollar company look like? Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't look like what their questions are about. Like these are not the things that he he focuses on. And it's obvious if you think about the fact that he's Mark Zuckerberg, of course he doesn't know the answer to these questions. Well, so what I thought was, okay, I totally get that Mark Zuckerberg, and it's weird to hold a single individual responsible for everything that an organization does. And when he sits up there and says, ultimately I'm responsible and he takes responsibility, I go, well, hold the phone. That's a little bit crazy. Yeah, yeah. But then I also think- I disagree. I think one, one person should own all the faults of an organization. And I want to set the record that you are Chris <laughs> on Command. So if anyone has any grievances about Chris on Command- uh, Charlie is at fault. It's my fault. And, you know, 50-50 owners, but not when it comes to blame. So <laughs> that's how I feel philosophically. I'm glad we got that on the record. I thought about this. I was thinking with regard to our own company. We are not that big, but I don't know everything that goes on within our company. And I don't feel responsible we for everything that happens in our customer. Because yeah. our goal, especially if you're in our courses, is that when you get an email, you get an email back as soon as possible. And when you have thousands of people in the program, and you and I are trying to run everything else that has to do with Chris on command. If we did do the email, no one would get <laughs> any word back. But what sure. that means is that I have no idea what they're actually saying to our uh, to the people who ask questions. Yeah, we like, have that's an how... idea because they're, we've worked with them before. But what are they saying today no, versus I, what are they I'm saying? I'm only banking on their integrity. Well, you, if you we know hire... these people. You know these people. These sure. are not strangers off the street. No, that's true. But if one of them has a bad week or yeah. something, 
and gets is cranky and, and goes so, off script. Yeah. I can't I can't control it. So this is this is my question. So I actually think that it's absurd to hold a single individual responsible for the actions of an organization yeah, yeah. once it hits a certain size. But if you believe that like I do, there should seems like there would be a flip side to that. Well, is you can't hold them responsible for all of the good things either yes. that that organization does. Meaning well, that I don't think Zuckerberg would take respons- would take he credit gets for paid as if he does though. And I think this is a flaw in our the structure of capitalist society, uh, which is that you get all of the winnings. Mm. If you start it, you own everything good, right? Yeah. I mean, you collect the paychecks. And then you ostensibly stand up there and, yeah, oh, it's my responsibility because you have to. But really, how many of these guys are going to jail for things that their employees have done? None yeah. at all. So it's a fake acceptance of responsibility in exchange for full control over all of the good things that an well, organization does. Actually, so I, I know that you, you're not anti-capitalism, but think it's a uh, I think there's, I think system that the or rule, whatever. But, no, I think I would adjust the rules of a capitalist sure. system. But I think, just to clarify, the founder of a company does not get all of the money because he's taking responsibility for all the good stuff. Mm-hmm. He gets all the money because he took all the risk. And so the owner of a company does not have to be the CEO. In fact, my dad has been the president of his company for a very long time, but didn't have equity. So someone else took the financial risk, started the company, and got almost all the money. But my dad was the president running the company, getting credit for what went well and you know, being yelled at if things go bad. So, so it's not actually based on who's responsible for creating value. It's based on who took the risk initially to put capital up yes. that's who gets all the sure. reward and maybe it should be based on who creates value is, is what i'm sort of suggesting and i know it would be hard to divvy up and i don't know what the system would look like but it does i totally get behind this idea that nobody is saying of how the heck could mark zuckerberg be responsible for everything in facebook it seems absurd to me he sets the general strategy he yeah, works yeah. with a handful of people and then people interact at every level of that organization and so i do think responsibility ought to be diffused. Yeah. Uh, and sure, we need a figurehead to sit there in front of Congress. It can be Mark Zuckerberg. That makes sense to me in terms of a what's honest. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, what's uh, how could you possibly take responsibility for what somebody you've never met has done? Sure. But it seems that there's a flip side to that, mm-hmm. which is if I'm not going to take responsibility, maybe I shouldn't collect all the value for this, despite the fact that 15 years ago I took a risk. Well, this is an interesting thing, and I, I think this is something that chafes a lot of people in the workplace. But mm-hmm. – Reward is not tied to value creation. Yeah. They teach you this in Finance 101. Reward is tied to risk. Mm -hmm. So if you want to make a lot of return on your money in the stock market, you have to invest in riskier stock. If you go invest in Visa, you aren't going to make 100 times your money. Interesting. You have to pick a startup. You have to pick a small thing that's probably going to fail. So risk and return. This is why anyone who says they're going to crush it in the stock market, make you a ton of money, is lying to you because the only way to make a ton of money is to risk losing all your money. Mm-hmm. And the only way to ensure that you don't lose your money is to take 2% or whatever. And so Zuckerberg, Bezos, all these people are not getting paid because they created value. Weirdly enough, there's a big pie because the, the company created value. Mm-hmm. But they are being compensated for the risk they took, not for the entity they created. And so, just and to- I think that's why, one, employees can get really pissed because they can do good work and not get paid. Mm-hmm. And two, that's why a lot of people lose a lot of money <laughs> trying to become get rich quick people. You know, they buy houses that are crappy thinking they're going to turn them around or they buy 
cryptocurrencies not understanding them at all mm -hmm. and they see other people making a lot of money there what they don't realize is the inherent in making this money is massive risk because so, risk so and return tie that. together help me understand that because i think there's a, a use of the word risk that is technical that i'm not totally understanding here because i can imagine like us you know we took a risk but it didn't feel tremendously risky at the time of starting a business well it was when you went years without making money pretend that i didn't pretend that i started a business mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm going to make a product. And I spent uh, a week writing a book and I wrote it and it became an international bestseller. Mm -hmm. And I, we would feel like I took very little risk. Yeah, but it could have failed. So think of yourself relative to a, to, uh, a salaried employee. So salaried employee, right? No financial upside. I'm going to make 40 grand a year, but no risk. Unless I get fired, I'm going to make 40 grand a year. Then you've got people that make slightly more money than that. Hedge fund managers, real estate investors, salespeople they get paid on commission. Mm -hmm. So they have the chance to make six figures, seven figures. But if a salesperson doesn't do well, they make almost nothing. And if a hedge fund person loses money, they're immediately fired based on their performance. So you can lose your job. You can get hired at a hedge fund and be fired in two months, which would be really hard to do if you went and got a $40,000, $50,000 salary job, right? You'd get at least some runway to screw up. So and then a founder, I, don't know that, I don't know that that's true. I it think is true. I, there's a lot, I think there's a lot of people that there's a lot of people that get fired at thirty thousand dollars after a week. You know what I mean? I think that there's. I don't think so. that's illegal in a lot of companies. Uh, you definitely can. I mean, you think of these minimum wage jobs, higher and cut bartenders, hired cut, hired cut. I, I think I understand what you're saying, but you're thinking of it from an investing standpoint. You stand to lose the money. Yeah. What's interesting is that there is clearly an asymmetry of risk in that I can't go back below zero if I don't spend any money, for instance. So if I write a book, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm I've invested ten dollars in paper or whatever it yeah, is yeah. that I did. So there's clearly an asymmetry. Maybe this is why entrepreneurship but, is a good idea is it can go to a trillion, but I, if I don't spend the money, I well, can't lose anything. So if you expect, this is going to get a little technical, but if you do expected value, the expected value of being an author is almost nothing. So what do you risk by writing a book? Very little money, just your time. What does the average author make? Nothing, mm -hmm. <laughs> nothing at all. So if you write a book, you stand to lose almost nothing and 99% of people will make almost nothing. So what you're saying is that if I was like all those people, it wouldn't work in a week. I do a week and then another week and a third week and I do weeks until I was 50 and I would never And you'd make never any make money. money. And you'd never you wouldn't lose a lot of money. You'd lose a lot of time which has an opportunity cost. Uh -huh. So that is a risk as well. Time in and you would expect to make nothing. Most authors make no money ever. I'll have to think about this. This is it is interesting cuz but that's how that's how that that's why that works the way it works because we seem with with our business when I think of the fact, you know, we own the whole business. We mm -hmm. we've, we've not given any equity. Uh, we, what, when I think of what it feels like we're compensated for, it feels like value creation. It feels like I made these videos. But what you're saying, and then I kind of recognize Summer's losing her mind. <laughs> Come here, girl. Here. I have to think about Sit. this some more. Lie down. So I'll tell you, it's, it's two-pronged. One is what is the value of Charisma on Command? What is the total profit of Charisma on Command or what is it worth? That is based on value creation. So if Charisma on Command makes very little revenue, it's because Charisma on Command isn't creating value for the world. Mm -hmm. And if Charisma on Command made a billion dollars, it's because Charisma on Command would have made a lot of value for the world. So that's the first part. And wealth creation is tied to value creation. But then who gets that? Where does that billion dollars go? Mm -hmm. 
the way our system works is you look at Chrism on command and you go, who so took let me, let me a pause financial you. I think risk? I got this. So if you started the company, you owned all of it. After a week, you hired me. And you make And YouTube I made videos. all the videos. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. I get all the money. Dude, I mean, our, I understand that. If and, our contract worked that I put, I bought the cameras, I bought the lights. Well, forget that. Forget you just started it. And then you said, okay. Uh, you wrote out, we're both going to buy the cameras. We're both going to buy the yeah, lights. Yeah. I just own this thing. Yeah. So it seems to me that in an idealized world, it's tied to risk. But really what it is tied to is a bit of savvy. It could be savvy contracting, right? Sure. Because we could have gone in work-wise, money-wise, equal. If you just drafted the thing, or even if you just screwed me when you went to the thing and That's wrote. That's true. Yeah, yeah. I did just hand you a, I did just say, hey, sign this. You just told me that I had 50%. Yeah. Uh, I could have done everything you that do. I <laughs> So I... I see that as an issue in the system, yeah. which is it actually isn't tied to risk. You could have screwed me over in a contract, which and, and I could have risked just as much. Yeah. Uh, so ideally it's tied to these things, but it's not in the real world. And um, I don't know what to do about that, but <laughs> that's that's just a, a thought that comes to my mind when I see Mark Zuckerberg being like harangued for things that seem so far out of his purview of responsibility but you say at the same time he's got billions, he's got of, dollars billions because... of dollars you know like why does he have that both of those things seem wrong to me mm. it seems and i don't know how to create this scheme that he should have less money to reflect the fact that and he, be flogged less and be flogged less and on, and and that should be more i bet you he'd prefer to have the same <laughs> amount of money and take the flog and say no i'm responsible yeah mark you don't have to go to any more congressional hearings you just have to give back half your money yes uh no thank you I will let them me. <laughs> just say it is my fault. So there was one other thing that that came on. We went deep on that, dude. We went hard on that. I no, I love it. Think about it a people, lot because of our I love business. To, I'd love to know if people find this interesting because I'm happy to jam on it. I think about this from our business because we own half of it. Yeah. I think I think that you and I have created a lot of the value, but I don't think that you and I have created a hundred percent of the value in our business. And so, who should have equity? Who should steer the ship? Who should? Should it at some point just move from my hands to someone's else if they work harder? I don't like that idea personally, but I wonder from a philosophical perspective if yeah. that would be a better way to do things. I don't I don't know, though. Um, so one other thing that a senator or a congressman said, I don't believe it was a senator, said cryptocurrency is the currency of the crypto patriot. And a big theme in this hearing was – are, is the dollar still going to be a powerful tool for us to affect foreign policy? Are we going to be able to impose sanctions when we want? Are we going to be able to uh, say, "Sorry, we're not paying that debt"? You know, are we going to be able to? Are we going to be able to control the world if this cryptocurrency succeeds? Mm. And we, meaning the American government, mm. and by smaller virtue, the American people, kind of maybe, uh, which was just interesting to me because so Mark Zuckerberg sits there and says, "We're an American company." Then they go, "Well, why are you headquartering this?" in switzerland <laughs> and i think what's not being said why is, do they do that taxes well switzerland is an international if you want to it's like you're not going to get the real answer yeah. out of him but what seems to me in part is that yes mark zuckerberg is an american but he's also he's a citizen of the world he invented facebook yeah. i mean these people that are sitting up there all of their friends when they were age 20 were americans mm -hmm. they were people that lived near them and yeah. You and I can play a video game online with someone yeah, yeah. that is from anywhere. Actually, it's great. I've been, <laughs> I've been, I've befriended a man that lives somewhere in the Middle East. Yeah, I did. He. Our business is run by people who live all over the world. Yeah, it's great. And so, I think that there's this 
crypto challenge, which the senators are accurately recognizing, but I don't think totally understanding the severity of it, that the nation state as this uh, cohesive unit versus other nation states seems to be breaking down, at least in our generation, because why? I just often feel, why should I care more about someone that I don't know who lives in Missouri than I yeah. should well, we're about weird, someone who though. lives in Mexico. We're, I think we're strange. I'm sure there's a lot of Americans that feel very strongly that they are fewer than patriotic. Ever. Fewer than ever, I would suspect. Yeah, but it might have gone from 99 to 95%. I don't know. I think what the internet does is it drives that number lower and lower and lower. Sure. And cryptocurrency drives that number lower and lower Can't and lower. Can't Scandinavians if you love PewDiePie. <laughs> That's what the internet does. <laughs> So I just wonder, I, they're, they're accurately predicting that this is a threat to the nation. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder what becomes of the nation with all these, these crypto technologies and the internet is, is putting people together that don't live next to one another anymore. So yeah. it's, it's, uh, well, Europe is Europe still pretty nationalistic? Cause we're, we're bordered on by oceans, right? The mm-hmm. U S is actually weirdly enough, a bunch of States that have very little in common but are one country. But the EU tried this, right? They were like, nations are going away. The world is becoming more global. Forget all our countries. We're going to be the European Union. But did that work? Or do people in France and Germany still feel very French and German and not like they're part of a European nation, but that the EU is almost a meaningless thing? I think think they feel very different, but the question is why? And, And I think there's a couple answers that are all going to be solved by technology. Language. Language, right? I can't talk to a German person. They sound... You know, I yeah, yeah. if they speak well, English, it's not anything crazy, but yeah, they well, sound like they're speaking German. They, you know, they sound like they're speaking German. And if they speak English, and if anyone speaks in an accent, there's an inherent assumption that they're not as intelligent, right? Yeah, yeah. Because they 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 can't speak in your way as quickly, even though it's a false assumption. Depends on the accent, though. French or Italian? <laughs> yeah, or or Very incredibly sexy. sexy right? Very sexy. <laughs> uh, I, I was listening to I forget who some English guy at the gym. And I was just so jealous. You're a genius. So jealous. <laughs> so Not even jealous. He was just talking to some woman who was in fat. She was just looking at him with doe eyes. And yeah. I went, man, you sound so pretty. Yeah. Here I am with my Philadelphia accent. <laughs> like a water scrub. Yeah. <laughs> Iggles. Go yeah. Iggles. Go birds. So, so that's one. Language is going away. I think culture, which is increasingly there's an internet culture that never existed. You might have more yeah. in common in the future with the person who hangs out in your corner of the internet than you do with the person who grew up with the same ritual. Well, we should talk to, I mean, this is going to sound strange, but like we should get a 15 year old on a podcast or something to call in because we missed this a little bit. Mm -hmm. We didn't play, I played video games with the people sitting on the couch next to me. Yeah. But I wonder if a kid who's 15 now, it's like from 10 to 15, did you play video games mostly with your neighbor? Did you play mostly with people online? If they were online, were they foreign? And if they were, did you befriend them or was it like, oh, we played for an hour, we turn it off, there's no relationship? I literally don't know the answer to these questions. Yeah. But that will determine, I think, the answer to a lot of your questions in terms of how global is the world becoming. Are these friendships occurring or is it just kind of like you log in and it's almost like playing with a computer, but the computer is just someone that lives in a different place? Well, I don't I th- know the answer. I think I think we can reason our way there, which is to say that if you think of what has bound people together for as long as people have bound together, language is part of it, shared culture is part of it, and proximity is part of it. Mm-hmm. And technology makes all of those less important and increasingly less important as now it used to be I can text someone mm-hmm. and now I can talk to someone yeah. and then there will be a language thing that means they, they will be translated instantaneously and then we'll be hanging out in VR and I'll be right next to them for all that I know. So I do think that 
The, yeah, long term, none of it will matter. It's like Ready Player One. Did you yeah. see that movie? No. Basically, he's got a woman in the VR that he has a crush on, and she says to him, "You have no idea who I am. Mm-hmm. I could be a heavy set guy, yeah, 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 half a world away." And he goes, "I don't care." Uh-huh. And then what do you know? She turns out to be <laughs> same age as him. Same. Doesn't gen- she have like, like some meaningless scar that yeah, yeah. makes her not pretty or something? Yeah. <laughs> what she's a cr- pretty woman. What a great a- movie trope. She puts on her glasses, and all of a sudden, yeah. she's not stunning or something. But it's a it's actually a valid point that they then don't drive home, which mm-hmm. is if it is VR, mm-hmm. who really who cares where you yeah. live at that point? So anyway, the the congressmen kind of get it, and it's happening, and it doesn't matter if you give the green Great light. Great news, to, though. If you're in Congress, you'll be dead before any of this happens. <laughs> yeah, so. it's not going that fast. Oh, there was one other, one other thing. Truth. So, again, nobody is confronting the core of the issue. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez kind of did when she said, so tell me, are you going to censor political ads or aren't you? And Well, we're going to censor some of them that cr- cause harm. You know, saying that election day is on a wrong day. We talked about this. But not others that are, okay, well, (laughs) that is a meaningless distinction. That Mm -hmm. is a, there is no clear line where you get harm and not harm. That is a completely subjective decision. So what causes harm is the question on Facebook. And one congressman asked, uh, is it true that you have limited the reach of anti-vaccine posts groups? Mm -hmm. And the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Facebook, while they have not blocked them, makes it so that when if you want to find an anti-vax group, you have to type the name in pretty perfectly. It will not autofill it with you. And you mm-hmm. could imagine that what it may autofill it with is a group that believes otherwise, right? Uh, they limit the, the exposure of certain posts related to this that their AI is calling. And the reason that Mark Zuckerberg gives is because this represents a clear threat. Now, the guy who's asking him doesn't think so. He says, here's, here's my perspective. The government has a $4 billion fund that is to pay out people who have been harmed by vaccines. And we've paid out, well, we've paid out $4 billion. I don't know how big the fund is, but we've given money to people. I don't, I haven't fact-checked any of this, but clearly this guy has a different opinion. So he thinks vaccines are dangerous. He thinks vaccines for some people are dangerous some of the time. Hmm. And he says, you're limiting that information. Uh, why do you get to decide that that's true? And how do you decide? And Zuckerberg says, well, the overwhelming scientific consensus. And whenever I hear that, I pull I pull the hair out of my head because that isn't science. Mm. Science isn't a popularity contest. Science is based on the scientific method. Mm-hmm. Who in your company reviewed the the all of the papers, did the meta analysis, gets it. You know and and even then that person is a fallible human being. Mm-hmm. The general thing is not that I'm pro or anti-vax, I haven't investigated it at all. Mm-hmm. But there's an, a huge epistemological question that comes down to what is true. And the first thing that is without a doubt is that Facebook is deciding in many cases for you. Mm-hmm. They will, and, and our government in some cases wants them to. They're telling them, you know, we, we want you to uh, take out dangerous things. Mm-hmm. So if it falls under dangerous, you know, who knows what that could be. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the second is, is what is the criteria by which something is deemed true? And apparently the scientific consensus, which I sincerely doubt, uh, where where would that consensus be? Who was polled? Who was in it? Like nobody knows the details of said consensus. Mm-hmm. It's just repeated a lot. And I think one of the most dangerous things uh, when it comes to epistemology is that assuming because something you've heard repeatedly is true. Mm-hmm. And I've certainly heard repeatedly that vac- anti-vaxxers are crazy. That's that's the thing. But I've never investigated it. So I so I. I hold my opinion. <laughs> yeah, well, this is how you feel about global warming, too. I feel this way about anything I try to that I haven't looked into myself and that is contentious and that I have heard uh, 
semi-intelligent person on the other side of an opinion. I try to go, okay, until I read the paper, I will not uh, be passionate about mm. this particular thing. So that that came up. Uh, and I know that, again, it's you just get shouted. I'm not saying I'm an anti-vaxxer. I don't have children. I haven't sparred anyone from being vaccinated. And did you vaccinate kids, your dog? I did. <laughs> I think he has autism, though. So <laughs> I, Honestly, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> he's, he's I love him, but. A special boy, yeah. That checks out. So I I don't know any of the other vax stuff. I'm go ahead, vaccinate your kids. You know, it seems like probably what I would wind up doing is vaccinating my kids. But the bigger problem I have is with assuming that because you've heard repeatedly that something is true, that therefore it is. Sure. And, and in not digging in yourself. And Facebook is deciding what's true for you. So that the things that you hear repeatedly are the are, only things are the hear. only thing exactly yeah. which seems like a huge huge issue i don't yeah. know if you have any thought no we went deep we went hard at facebook just now i watched four hours of it i better have something to talk about <laughs> so i have one other thing i don't know if you have anything no else. go for it the human documentary that i told you yeah about. yeah tim ferris sent out an email five bullet friday is what i'm watching human so i clicked it yep it's a documentary that is essentially they interview 2500 people all around the world in their native language with subtitles and they take excerpts, two to four minutes of each of these person, black background, talking about uh, kind of a prompt. So there's happiness, family, what it's like to be gay, hmm. uh, war, violence, all of these things. And it's it was awesome. I highly, highly recommend it. And incredible for setting resetting my perspective about what a problem is. Because hmm. <laughs> Would you recommend that everyone watch it? I couldn't say everyone. I would recommend it if you like this podcast, probably. You That's will. what I'm saying. It's worth whatever it is an hour three hours so there's three volumes the first one is really good and watch you can skip over the musical human documentary it's from 2015 there's three volumes watch it yeah uh i told you a little bit about it but it just made me want to orient our business and even our current business and whatever we do in the future more towards solving the problem of suffering Mm. which is this just really drives home is so tremendous and everywhere, whether it's people who are scavenging for food. They had a section on, on gay people and what it's like to grow up gay in certain areas where your father beats you. Mm -hmm. And you know, like some guy thought he was going on a date he was in Russia or or a country nearby and he opened the door. Two guys came in, cracked a bottle over his head, threatened his life. It's just like just insane stuff. And then there's other stories that are, that are the most basic kind of suffering, which is just having a family that never expressed that they loved you or cared about you. <laughs> and so there's everything from uh, my family died because we didn't have basic antibiotics to I was beaten to I don't feel loved. And it's mm-hmm. it's it's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's heartbreaking and it'll make you But think, valuable. Oh, yeah. Because hedonic adaptation is crazy. Your ability to adjust to how good your circumstances are and very quickly find problems with it it's a superhuman talent. Yeah. And so you like this documentary because it just, for a second, shook your hedonic adaptation off. And you went, wow, I'm so lucky that no one beat me to death ever. I wish. <laughs> I'm lucky I don't have leprosy. I'm lucky. You know, yeah. you just see all these people. You go, wow, I don't see them day to day in L.A. But now I know they exist. Well, I do. I don't even connect. We talked about the homeless. I don't connect with it yeah. every day. I, it, it's You don't know there. their story. I am sure that eyewitness had a distance suffering every day, but you're right. I don't, I don't connect you don't know their it. story. Yeah. I wish that there was 10 minutes of this that I could watch every morning and it would be new and, and slightly different every time. Uh, 
it also just we talk a lot about the news but i want to talk more about these kinds of things it really mm. just drove home the most common most pressing stories are unfit for the news cycle yeah and what is fit for the news cycle is salacious new stuff when, Even, we, when we were at war well we're kind of still at war but when the, <laughs> there was a point where you would have the news would be talking about something totally inconsequential and at the bottom would be the death toll you know just scrolling like this many americans this many afghani this many iraqi yeah and no one ever talk about it because it's boring mm -hmm. and people don't want to watch it and I, I thought that was always fascinating and a very macabre way when when it was happening i also feel that it might just in a very selfish way to to pay attention to those sorts of things especially if you're working on it it seems like it could make you feel happier and more fulfilled because i do think that though it's addicting one of the problems with the news cycle is it gets you that rage kick mm -hmm. and then this helpless useless meaningless just just pervades everything else right yeah. so you get really angry about something that you can do nothing about and a sense of meaninglessness pervades your life as yeah. you as you go to work to buy more consumes consumables but when you i don't know i got jacked up spending that evening thinking about okay what sort of problems could you solve what are what are interesting ways to solve them yeah. what what can you do immediately what can you do in a 10-year horizon angel will you link to this Will you find it and link to it in the description? Yeah. Would yeah, it, of course. I, I think it's just uh, the other, the, and one of the thoughts that I had is that, man, documentaries can be tremendously powerful because it seems like a problem is that people do, people are motivated to help those who they connect with when they suffer. But the biggest problem is that there are things that keep us at a distance from connecting with sure. someone who is suffering. And a documentary pulls that down and then you feel, at least for a time, more motivated to act. Check it out. I'm going to. Yeah, we'll Check see. Check it out. We'll see uh, if it, if it, Affects our business. That's affects part of donations. why I need Angel to link to it. Because <laughs> I don't know how to Google. <laughs> Angel, get the link. Hopefully a YouTube video so I can watch it on my TV. Did you have anything else that you wanted to? No, mostly just that the city's burning down. Yeah, that's a bummer. <laughs> so, Angel, what do we have in the news? I don't have much of actual news today since we just did one recently, but I did see this morning that um, Donald Trump went to the World Series with Melania. Yeah. And he got booed watch? by, like, the whole venue. I don't know if you guys saw that. Let Ben watch. Let me find that clip real whole quick. Whole venue? Yeah, it was a lot yeah. of people. Wait, was it it? Was probably, it in Washington? I presume it was in Washington, right? Yeah, probably half the venue, right? Since half the country likes him and half the country hates Not him. Not in Washington, D.C. It was a lot. It was a lot of booze. He went to a Nats game, which was seems... If he was, if he was at Houston, it would have made more sense to me <laughs> that he showed up at the game. Well, he lives in D.C., right? Exactly. But... It's like 90% Democrat. Liberals? Yeah. What are they chanting? Lock him up. Lock him up. Lock him up? Yeah. For what? For, I mean, he said, I think that's like a Hillary thing that he said way back in the day. And yeah, then yeah. there's what is it there's the ukraine thing which i'm sure you're not up to date with there's... no i just assume that it's all this is all uh empty posturing i'm pretty i'm just convinced that that he's gonna be fine that we don't put presidents in jail in the united states of america yeah, I think yeah. that's a pretty safe yeah. bet no i i it's not that i haven't seen the ukraine stuff it's that i purposely ignore it because i just assume that this is the equivalent of bashing my head against a wall in yeah, terms yeah. of how educational it would be to read about it's just interesting i wonder how many sitting presidents would get that sort of a of a reaction out of game. I, I'm honestly, maybe George well, he, Bush would have in the heat he, of the Iraq War. This is the weird thing when you're when you hate Trump, you think everyone hates Trump. Mm -hmm. But he's just so polarizing because there's people 
who literally threatened to overthrow the government if he gets impeached. There's He'll tweet something. He'll say, they're fighting me because I'm fighting for you. And there'll be people. And again, I'm not saying tweets are the news, but there's people who tweet back like, not on our watch, sir. We're ready to raise up. <laughs> we're ready to raise up arms at your command. Yeah. It's like literal response from people. And I'm sure most of that's a bluff. But yeah, he's got people ready to die for him. Yeah, it's. I think he just polarizes hard. Is this the future of politics? Is it just going to be divisive? I, I wonder this. So, you. Do, I don't know because I wasn't around. But people who are older than I am claim that at one point people would go across the aisle. That you would you would debate things and you'd fight over bills and then you'd go for drinks, Republicans and Democrats or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that this idea of hating each other and being divisive is new. And my question is, if that's true, which I wasn't alive for, so I can't corroborate. But if we assume that's true, so if we were here and now we're here, is it going to look like DNA? <laughs> or are we just going and yeah. in 50 years, it's just a civil war? I don't know the answer. No, I've, I I would have to study it more to even confirm if the first piece is true. You know why it won't be a civil war? This is so weird because it's the coasts tend to be Democrat and the yeah. middle tends to be Republican. If the blue red of the map looked different, I actually think that we might have a secession of some kind. But how do you secede the coast? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's it's weird, like New York to Florida and L.A. to Portland. Everyone's on the same page. But then you can't. You could have three countries, I guess, but you can't have two. You know what I mean? And I think that's and, and of prevent... course within within any block of area, there's people of you know every, any city. Well, that's block true, is... but that's true of any country, yeah, yeah. right? That's true. Any country you have is going to be when there's a civil war. No, no, I'm just saying that. Sure, let's say in a civil war, you'll you'll be in the north and and be pro slavery and go. Wait, we're fighting mm -hmm. for what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you just got to get on the team or move to the south. Yeah. So no, I think what prevents a civil war or secession is that. It's the coast. It's not. The blue isn't connected. I hope it doesn't. It's also, I wonder if we have, again, I would just have to, to learn more about this. Are people more involved politically than they were? Or they, they at least purport to care more or have more a, more passionate opinion? Nah, it's easier, it's easier to rage now. In the 20s, if you thought you cared about politics, you had to actually go out of your house. Read a paper. If Let's say you wanted to make a stink about something, mm -hmm. right? You had to go somewhere. You had to go to the politician's office or you had to go to your neighbor's house with pamphlets or door-to-door -door knocking to talk about stuff. Mm -hmm. There was no... You couldn't tweet. You couldn't just sit in your bed eating nachos and yeah, like, yeah. oh, I'm going to make a public statement about this. Interesting. So I don't know that people are more fired up. I think it's just never been easier to scream your opinion. Yeah. That was uh, an interesting decision on his part. And in retrospect, it might seem obvious, but you're in Washington, D.C., you're in a very you're, you have, I think, the lowest approval rating that you've had, which is even in the country, it's at like 40 percent, mm -hmm. you know, which is OK. So 60 percent of everyone is is not feeling it right now. Uh, apparently, they tried to sandwich him in between servicemen. They were like going around and be like, you know, this guy's in the Marines or this guy's. And then they tried to pop him in there and it just did not did not go according to to plan for him. Yeah. Well, who knows what his who knows what he thinks about how he's doing or how people perceive him, you know? Yeah. You might be like, I'm doing a great job. You might not believe the polls. Yeah. Yeah, I'm doing a great job. These people are... Yeah, to be clear, the polls said I was going to lose the presidency the yeah. first time. So you say 40%, I say 80%. Yeah. Who's to say who's right? I think he got a fairly good sample of Nats fans. <laughs> so, I but think... before the game, he might have been like... Yeah. We could probably, he and I agree, that Nats fans that not, were at that game are not, not, yeah. are not Trump fans. It was not a silent majority that were <laughs> that could not be heard. Anyway, what else happened? That's all I have this week, um, but do you want to do questions? I have a bunch of those. 
I would love to know how Trump thinks he's doing and how Trump thinks that the U.S. people feel about him. I bet you it doesn't match with what most people think. What you mean? What a poll would say? Yeah, I think his. I think if you asked him truly, with like with like a truth serum, I, I do believe that he would go. That forty percent's bullshit. Employment rate's great. Economy's great. I have a bunch of silent people that are scared because, you know, people go nuts on him or whatever. And he may or may not be right. Who knows? I mean, I have, I have no idea. I. It seems that, that I'm just saying that's how said. that happens, right? Yeah. Is he goes. 60% of people don't dislike me. That's crazy. Yeah, I'm going to the game. Yeah. <laughs> Put me on the Jumbotron. <laughs> <laughs> what else do we have? Uh, the first question comes from Kai. Uh, they ask, how can I maintain my charisma while battling mental health? Context, I have body dysmorphic disorder and depression. Body dysmorphic disorder, which is, uh, a, Kai, I assume, is a guy. Is body dysmorphic disorder oftentimes for men where they think that they need to be bigger? It, it, it's just any anytime you... It can be... Sorry. Well, I believe it's any time that you uh, your 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 brain doesn't allow you to see you yourself objectively. Uh, you see in the mirror whatever you it could be perceive both. as yourself. You could mm -hmm. be you could be a skinny guy and think that you're not skinny and that mm -hmm. you need to lose weight. You could be a skinny guy and think that got you're it. Got it. too skinny and you need to be more muscular. It's, you just need to have an ideal that is not you, and and no matter you can never. The get biggest there. thing is you body dysmorphia. I think is defined as okay. Ten other people are going to define objective reality, and they're going to write down. If you're skinny, if you're regular, if you're fat, yeah. if you're jacked, and then you're going to write it down. And those 10, nine of them say healthy skinny. Yeah. And you come back chubby and gross. Yeah. That's yeah. what body dysmorphia is. The definition is a psychological disorder in which a person becomes obsessed with imaginary defects in their appearance. Interesting. So it's like you could say like, I have a big nose. And now forever, the first thing you see in the mirror is that nose. And you're always going to. But it. it doesn't have to be imaginary. Actually, well, so right? so here's the thing. It's every defect is imagined, right? You know, why, why focus on any part of your body to the exception? Mm -hmm. of, we'll get to your question. But it seems that we all have body dysmorphia. Yeah, yeah. Some of us just have more crippling body dysmorphia. I agree. Uh, that, that, and in fact, everyone I know or many people that I know are affected by the way that they think that they look when other people would say it's okay yeah. <laughs> you know, like don't worry about it uh yeah so i guess this is just a severe case is yeah. what you're describing okay so let's return to the question he's got body dysmorphia and what did he want to know uh how do i maintain my charisma while mm. battling uh these mental yeah so so i would say uh do do the battling first you know that i wouldn't worry about maintaining your charisma while it seems like there's a priority that ought to be given here and the, and the priority is to uh rectifying feeling better about yourself i don't know if you agree but they seem to be different orders of uh charisma is a skill that you can develop and i think is absolutely worthwhile to do but it seems like you should put your time and attention into the foundational thing which is your your mental health i don't know if you so my only question would be we have a lot of people that email us that say things like thank you so much for your video thank you so much for your course i had depression mm. and your stuff really helped yeah so those people are benefiting from focusing on their charisma and their confidence got it so so perhaps this would be the addendum is it sounds like you're feeling like you're falling down on the job of being charismatic so if you do want to practice the tools that we talk about to be more charismatic while you're struggling with this stuff, make it only a cherry on top. It's only worth doing and worth continuing out if it makes you continually feel better. 
Yeah. But if feeling like you're not doing enough of your charisma stuff is is adding to the compounding the problem of feeling worse, this is not on your plate right now. Is yeah. what I would say. What it, what you get a plate and you get a bonus dessert only if yeah, <laughs> only yeah. if it's helpful for you. No, because I would <laughs> as a thing, but I would guess that let's say you have body dysmorphia, you think you have a huge nose, right, or yeah. you think you are disgustingly fat, but really you're just normal, semi out of shape person, mm-hmm. and then you do work on your charisma and steady your diet or whatever, yeah. and people start to react better to you because what you weren't doing was smiling or making eye contact or introducing yourself or touching. And so now you hug your friends and you laugh and you smile and they're all, and the reception you get is better. And maybe you go, Oh, it's not that I'm a disgusting human. It's not that I look terrible. It's that I wasn't doing these other things. I think that's where it could help is if you start to get that positive feedback and you go, Oh, people weren't ignoring me because I have a big nose. They were ignoring me because I sat quietly, looked at my feet, and never spoke. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So that's where I could imagine it would help. It's tough. It's, unfortunately, it's another example of a question I wish I had more context context for. So yeah. I think, I think there is a bridge here, and, and charisma is a skill when you look at it, but it has foundations in confidence and self-esteem, mm-hmm. as does body dysmorphia, I imagine, is affected by. So it seems like the bridge between these two is self-esteem. And mm-hmm. so for... For you, what I would recommend in particular is is to hit them both at the same time. And I think an excellent way to do that is a book called Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got six, it's got practices, sentence completions that you'll do, but six core practices that lead to increased self-esteem. And none of them uh, are going to be prohibited in any way by where you are with your mental health with regards to your body. In fact, I think it could help you start to reclaim some of that yeah that power that seems to have been seeded yeah and we've recommended that book a lot i i think it's probably worth clarifying that is not a book for people with low self-esteem no it's not a book for people that are in a bad place because you found that book was really helpful in quitting your job and starting this business no it's it's an amazing book yeah. i mean it's top five or six yeah. that i've ever read i just want to say it's for everyone you know mm-hmm. people who are like oh charlie always recommends this book but i'm not and then you know they think it's only for a certain this book's incredible for almost everyone because mm-hmm. it just helps you make have a happier life have higher self-esteem and do more of the things that you're scared to do sure that's how i would describe it and if you have further context it like it, it's tough to give what do yeah, you mean yeah, Morgan yeah. what do you mean so if, if there's more that you'd like to add uh, maybe next week we can we can fill in but i think that's it for now what else it's always tough because it's like, is my is your body dysmorphia preventing you from talking to people because yeah, you yeah. have anxiety? Are you talking to people a bunch and it's draining so you don't have time to go to the gym? Which yeah, is, yeah. it's like, oh, <laughs> I don't know. This could go so many ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the next question comes from Patrick. What's up, Patrick? Hello. Patrick says, hi, Ben and Charlie. Here's my question. Lately, I have been struggling to stay t- in touch with reality and understanding what reality even is in the first place. As I grow more aware of human psychology and tendencies, it has led me to realize how much of our reality is masked both internally and in our interactions with others. To me, reality means truth. How am I feeling? What are my desires? What is my grief? And what are the intentions of uh, others? Even by asking this, I wonder if I am misleading myself away from reality by pondering its meaning. Should I learn to accept the incessant ambiguity or is there a means to become more present? Wow. Big, big, big question. Well, you don't think there's an objective reality, right? Uh, no, I mean, I think, I think reality is co-created, but that's, yeah, that, that, uh, my perception of the world, like this is solid, right? This is solid because of my subjective size. If I were the size of a neutrino, this is infinitely spacious, right? Uh, so uh, yeah, objective reality is not something I try to understand, but reality is truth. There's a whole spiritual argument that while 
everything that we experience in our day-to-day -day is a relative truth. This is solid relative to my size, that there are absolute spiritual truths that one can tap into through deep meditation or psychedelics or uh, other spiritual awakenings. So that's a huge question, though, that you asked. Uh, sounds like you're a big thinker. And what I would say is that's awesome, and I think it's great that you've had this awareness that there is more to you than you initially thought, which is like, that was a big breakthrough to me to realizing that I have these drives that I'm not totally conscious of and that and, and I wanted to get to know them better. Uh, thinking can take you some of the way there. Investigation and self-inquiry can take you some of the way there. Dream journaling can take you some of the way there. All really cool things that I recommend. But if what you care about is truth, there is a degree of presence that requires the mind <laughs> to quiet. And it's an unutterable truth. As soon as I try to describe this couch, I am not present with everything that is. That is. Uh, so not being a great spiritual leader and not being capable of this, I can't tell you the best, <laughs> the best things to do. Yeah. But what I would say is take a two-pronged approach in your day. Allow yourself to do the thinking stuff. Allow yourself to do the investigating and the pondering and the questioning. And don't beat that up because part of the truth, and I have to constantly recognize this, is that you have to appreciate your ego and the questioning and the and the constant figuring out. You don't want to fight it. You need to to give it a hug, like like it's you know, it's a baby. It's part of you, and it ain't going anywhere. Uh, but at the same time, to cultivate space for practices, some sort of mindfulness meditation, walks, uh, things where where your mind quiets, and that can be something even extraneous activity can get you there. So I would say. Uh, there's nothing wrong with you. It's all good. Do both. The the one th I think it's a great answer. The one thing I would add is there seemed to maybe I'm projecting or mishearing that there was a sense of unhappiness in the question, right? So you answered the question of how do I deal with the fact that there's reality versus truth versus this philosophical question I have versus presence. But what I kind of heard in the question was also like there's a bit of wrestling with it, mm -hmm. a bit of unhappiness in it. So what I would say is it depends what your pursuit is right if your pursuit is truth then i think your question or your answer was awesome if your pursuit is happiness i think the only thing i would add to it is a little bit of nihilism or existentialism a little bit of at the end of the day don't sweat it so much mm -hmm. is the real is reality objective is it subjective are we simulation is it this is it that and i guess this comes to presence it's like you can think about that for a while but then mm -hmm. maybe just go outside and sit in the sun sure and if it's a computer simulated sun <laughs> or not just enjoy that it feels nice and that's the only thing I would say is if I'm right and if what you're saying is that these questions and not knowing the answer to these ultimate truth questions is creating angst in you or anxiety or unhappiness or depression is. Mm -hmm. It's a lifelong pursuit. And then honestly, you'll probably just miss at the end anyway. No one really knows the answer to this. So I would sprinkle in a little bit of nothing really matters. Have fun and pursue this to the extent that it's enjoyable. Yeah. The only... Uh, the this stuff is out of way deeper than my pay grade. Maybe one day I'll have an answer that I feel more confident in. But as regards truth, truth is, if you're look, capital T, it's total. It's, it's all encompassing, right? And so you seem to feel barred from the truth, like your mind is getting in the way or not being present. If something is, is blocking you from getting there, like you were sectioning off part of reality, which is false, and over here is truth. But the cool thing is truth is the whole circle. Like truth is the search for truth as well, which is where you are right now. So that's if you can relax into the fact that the not knowing is part of the overall truth mm -hmm. and, the, and, the, and the journey is part of the, the big circle, uh, 
you're doing the truth right now. So so it's all good, right? Yeah. <laughs> do you think that do you think that intelligence inversely correlates with happiness? I'd have to to see the the study. I'd be curious. I think intelligence. They say IQ correlates. IQ with, meaning IQ correlates with financial success, right? Yeah. The if you want to know if someone's going to be financially successful, the number one first question you should ask is what's their IQ. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you're only goal is happiness if you're not better off in the in the 100.00 iq range than yeah. in the 180 iq range i'm sure there's is, i'm sure there's studies that have been i'd be curious conducted. this is the kind of question where I, I wonder if just a simpler person can go i'm gonna go to work because it's work yeah i'm home with my family i love my dog and someone mm-hmm. goes what about the objective reality <laughs> versus the hallucination of collective and they go i guess man i'm gonna throw a baseball with my kid though <laughs> like I, I do question if it's if if your goal is happiness and not wealth, if you're not better off shooting for the middle of the bell curve. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the answer, but no idea. No idea. I think you can get both. I do believe it's both are both are there. Cool question though. What else? Uh, the next one's a little lighter <laughs> and it comes from Jared. Um, Jared says, hi, long time viewer. First time asking a question. Um, you got uh, love you guys as a salesman. Oh. How can I? Love you too. I love you too, Jared. <laughs> well, actually, to be fair, it says heart you guys, but uh, I, I changed it to love. Don't want to read too much into that. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll leave Less first. than signed three you. Yeah, I no, love, that's I exactly what it is. I love you too, Jared. I'm willing to go first. I'll say it. What else we got? Uh, as a salesman, how can I build a rapport with potential clients without sounding or coming off as salesy? For example, is there a preferred tonality, certain phrases, or body language that could help with this? Thank you. Keep up with the fantastic work. Well, you just made a video on negotiating. I mean, I just wrote. I'm yeah. gonna, I'm gonna spoiler that video. Yeah. Although these come out the same day, I think. No, no, this will probably. Oh, this come will out. come out a couple days before. Yeah. Well, one of the things you talk about is this mindset of how can I actually help the other person. Mm-hmm. So even though I'm negotiating for myself, what can I set up that's truly better for the other person? Yeah. And I think that the number one thing that people don't like about salespeople is that when they are being sold to, they feel like the person is trying to take from them. Mm-hmm. And that's why people get uncomfortable around salespeople. They get protective. They go, this person, if I give them what they want, I am going to lose something that I don't see yet. Yeah. And that's the, that's why they're scared. Scared to overpay for a car or whatever it is. So the, I would not worry so much about the inflection of your voice or the tonality of your qu- And I would go, how can I approach every single sales meeting where my number one goal is to help the other person? Yeah. And sometimes when I ask, hey, so what's your financial situation? And they go, oh, I'm this and that. I'm going to go, you know what? This is a terrible time for you to think yeah, about yeah. this. Truly, I, I actually don't want you to buy. And this isn't a tactic. They're not yeah. allowed. To, oh, please let me. Okay, I'm going to. This is boiler room and it's a trap. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, I, would I, I think maybe I should come back in a year. And then maybe you'll be in a better spot. Mm-hmm. And if you're willing to have that and walk away from people that want to give you money because you're genuinely trying to help the other person, I think that'll sub-communicate through all the right body language and tonality. Yeah. I uh, That's... Very similar to what I was going to say. The core of it is the same. Perhaps what I would add is the exercise, which can be hard. What you want to do is you want to step out of yourself. So you can ask yourself the question of, okay, I'm going to pretend that there's a mafia guy in my house and he knows the truth. And if I don't say the right answers, he's going to, he's going to hurt me, <laughs> right? Okay, so who is this product actually good for? Mm-hmm. Who is it actually good for? Who does it actually not benefit, mm-hmm. right? And, and like this can be concrete people, can be types of people. Uh, who has bought this product in the past that it has turned out to be a poor decision? And mm-hmm. there should be people on that list. I mean, yeah. this is probably the case. Who do I know? Who has bought this in the past and it turned out to be a great decision? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and pretend the mafia guy's gonna hurt you if you don't get this right. Don't write what you want because what you want is this is good for everyone. Yeah, I've never, I've never sold to anyone who didn't nah. need it. I'm gonna go to your house even though I love you. <laughs> I'm gonna break your thumbs if you lie to me. Yes. I'm gonna sit you down and go, "What do you sell? Who shouldn't buy this?" Mm -hmm. If you say, "Oh, everyone should buy this," I'm breaking a thumb. <laughs> Next comes your ring finger or whatever it is, you know. And yeah. then I think that'll really help to then you will approach the right people and then you'll come from a heart centered place. You go, "You really should. This is gonna be good for you." Yeah. Uh, so that that's just to really put you in the mindset and then the rapport comes when you are in that moment and you're like this is going to be a good thing for you yeah. i have a true opportunity for you and it's not a phrase that you're saying and like yeah you when said, you and when you say i don't say this to everyone yeah, yeah, yeah. it'll you feel real it. yeah because it's not a line your tonality you know, listen, will line up 10 minutes ago i told someone don't buy but i'm yeah. telling you this is going to be great for you yep. and you won't have to worry about if you inflect it up or down or what your hands were doing because you'll mean it and so your body will do the right thing. This is another thing that I think is important that is, uh, it's just interesting and I don't fault you for this, but what's often left out of these questions is what you sell. Like the simple fact that one is a salesman seems to be enough to ask how do I sell better? When truly, how you sh the product should be included in all of these questions and because what if you're selling guns? You know what I mean? Like the, I, I'm not trying to, to pick on you particularly. I think it's, it says a lot about how we think about what it is. Salesmen sell stuff. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. is the stuff? My buddy Who used cares? to sell cigarettes and he, it really ate at him. Yeah. And it's, he eventually had to quit because he just started to feel really bad about himself because he was going into nightclubs and mm -hmm. like being one of those people selling packages of cigarettes. So the answer that might come from this is I can no longer sell this particular product. Yeah, because I, I, I can't. I, I can't sell and be honest yes. and feel good at the same time. There's not enough people that this is not this that you were, right Jared. We, we know this. <laughs> this is for other people. We love you. Yeah, Jared. <laughs> uh, it's just that that is uh, something to consider is that this might not be the right product for mm -hmm. you to sell. And you might be an excellent salesman. I, I've, I've mentioned this before, but it's worth saying again. We've redone Charisma University several times. I think this is the third or fourth iteration. And I really didn't feel comfortable pushing it up until this fourth time. Uh, but what you've probably noticed on our videos is that ever since January of 2019, I talk about Charisma University a lot more. And that's because I feel much more comfortable with the product being really good for a lot of people. And I want like a wider majority of people to check it out. And it's not just this thing that if you really like our videos, mm -hmm. then you can go check yeah. it out. Uh, so do what you can to, to get the product that is going to make you feel that level of confidence. And I think that'll help the sales process a cool. lot. What else? I'm proud of that answer. I think we did well. <laughs> Sometimes we answer stuff like, oh, I hope that was helpful. <laughs> the next question comes from uh, Runar, or Runar. As I keep aging, I come across people that seem like they have their own opinions, like you guys and a lot of other public figures. When I look at my own opinions, they seem to be influenced by a lot of other people, although I do stand by them. The question is, therefore, are we just a collection of our influencers' opinions, or am I missing a piece in the puzzle? P.S. Love the podcast. Great question. Yeah, I think we're like you. I don't, I don't think that we would have these opinions if we were a bubble boy held in a white room. No. Our opinions are based on what we read, what we watch, and the conversations that we have. I wanted to make this video this week, so it was between negotiating and creativity. And we went with negotiating. Maybe I'll do creativity in the future. But one of the things that allows me, if you, if you like the perspectives that we take, is that I seek out books that are not popular yeah i seek out uh I, I try to find things that are unpopular and what can so that's the first thing is you're also a beast dude you read multiple books a month yeah I read, so I, I try to read a lot reading will allow you to get more sophisticated but what i believe about the world truly is often didn't always originate in my head it is more typically a synthesis and this is the other thing yeah, yeah. Is well that, you'll read disparate opinions mm -hmm. is the other thing 
I think a lot of people will go, I'm pro-choice. So I'm going to go read a pro-choice article about abortion. Mm-hmm. And what I see you do is you will go read a pro-choice article and then you'll go read a pro-life article. And then you'll sit down and you'll think what made sense from both of these articles. Yeah. And I think that's part of why your opinions are so intelligent and so thoughtful is because you seek out opposing thoughts. You know what I'm saying? It's not just that you read a lot. It's that yeah. you read a lot from both sides on a lot of issues. And there is in this is similar to what you said. When I read, I often pause because there's I interact as much as I can with whatever I'm reading or mm-hmm. watching. And I will sometimes journal while I'm writing if I disagree with something or if I don't understand something. And uh, that is how you new ideas. I don't know that there's a new idea that was born from nothing. But what you can have is a mommy from over here and a daddy from way over yeah, here. Yeah. And then you get this idea that is insightful, unique, uh, nuanced in a way that other people haven't. So that's part of what helps. I often talk about how I'm reading a spiritual book and then a business book and a, mm-hmm. and a something random, you know, I should probably read more nonfiction, but that, that helps as more well. More fiction, you mean? Oh, sorry, more fiction. I read yeah. a ton of nonfiction. But yeah, my opinions still are uh, crossbreeding of the influencers that yeah. I've encountered. But the nice thing is there's an infinite combination of, of synthesis that you can make. So just start pulling from, from more diverse patches. Don't watch the same news. Don't watch the same influencers. And you, you will start to have opinions that are unique to you and, uh, that you generated on your own. This is the final thing that I'll add is, is the earth flat or is it round? Uh, when somebody like me who hasn't investigated goes, oh, it's round because I read it, I find that uninspired. But if I did the experiment myself and I verified that, oh, you know, when we look at the sun from here and we look at the thing from here, it's round, there's an ownership of that idea that is unique, even though it might match what the consensus has to say. So I, I try to do that some of the time with even very common things and regenerate almost as if I was retrying to prove basic axioms of, mm. of life. And sometimes you'll prove a basic one wrong. And then you've got a, then you've got a killer of an idea right there. Sure. Um, like the fact that your personality is partially a skill that can be learned. Yeah. That the whole crux of our business. When we said we were going to do charisma on command, a lot of people said this is stupid and impossible mm-hmm. you can't become more charismatic but we went well we've read a couple books how to win friends influence we're gonna try it and then we did it in our own life and it was truly mind-blowing at the time but mm. oh my god yeah yeah <laughs> i can learn to be funnier yeah being funny is not just something like my eye color i was born with and yeah you get that epiphany moment is the earth flat around you'll do the experiment yourself and you go oh wow i have this tangible life experience now to back this opinion i'm not just a parrot Exactly. And I think I, I, this is a great question, which is why I'm sticking on it. That's the difference between an ideology and a personality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, ideologies, you could just get from a book. You could just and you can regurgitate the argument from a book. A yeah. personality is when you infuse your own experience with all of these other influences. And they're and they're at least sometimes verified by by personal experience. And that's where that's where it becomes interesting. Yeah. The one thing I would add. To the extent that anyone thinks that I have interesting or thoughtful ideas, it's because I will change my mind. Mm. I think a lot of people will just go, I was raised this way, and this is how I feel. And I'll flip-flop. If I think something, and then we bring on a guest, and he's got a better argument than me, I will truly roommate on it and and change my mind. You know, unless I go, oh, wait, I wish I'd said this, and then I'll call the person up or something. Our but- buddy last night was telling us, I want to get him to debate, that uh, the claims that 
vegan lifestyle is better for the environment is actually not the case when compared to sustainable sorts of farming. Now, that's to say nothing of the moral argument for eating animals, which we've discussed in mm-hmm. the past, but I'm intrigued. You know, no, but I, <laughs> like, I, think, I do think that having that open mind, not being in love with any of your current beliefs is really helpful because then you'll actually be looking at information to assess it and consume it instead of just confirmation bias reject everything only listen to the things i already believe Mm -hmm. i think that's that's incredibly important and you'll know you're doing it right if you actually change your mind because if you think you're being open-minded but never never lose an argument never proved wrong then i question maybe it's a great question to ask yourself when was the last time i changed my mind about something big Mm -hmm. and if the answer isn't within two years you're not really <laughs> sure. what are you doing you're just you're just on someone's path uh that's the cool thing is that if you do it your way you're going to be completely totally unique yeah yeah um you may end up with some odd beliefs yeah We've yeah got yeah some counterculture beliefs you know For sure but and some that are t- right down the pike of mainstream you know yeah. um but anyway i hope that helps good question anything else one more question comes from flavio how did you guys support yourselves financially when you decided to leave your nine to five jobs and start Charisma on Command? I might. <laughs> Sick question. Well, there, there's a little bit more. The idea of not being able to handle everything by leaving your job can be scary, but working extra hours after the job on projects sometimes doesn't seem like it can be enough and can be exhausting. Sure. So it seems like a lose lose for them. So I had in the bank when I left maybe around 10 ish thousand dollars that I'd saved up over the course of time. And I had student loans that were eating at that at about... You had $100,000 of student loans, right? Yeah, so that was about $1,000 a month that I had. So I could only even pay the student loans if everything had been covered, which it wasn't for 10 months. So I had a short runway of a, of a number of months. And then the question was, what did I do to make money? And the answer was, whatever Hilarious. I could, I did. I mean, so the first thing was cutting back expenses. So, I mean, I slept on the floor next to you for, yep. for a while. Yeah, we bought a cot. Bought yeah. a four-inch cot. Yes, we just put it it's next. One hundred twenty bucks from Target. Yeah. It was so I so I really cut expenses tremendously, uh, and then I did odd jobs. I had don't please don't. Oh, I'm not going to say it. There is an axe commercial. <laughs> that is the worst thing ever. Uh, I did like an odd job here and there. You I did, tu- you tutored SAT stuff. I tutored right? SAT. You Airbnb'd whatever yeah. you had. Yeah. So we we moved to Brazil. First of all, we moved to Brazil, six bedroom. It's actually four bedrooms, a closet, and a walk-through hallway. Charlie yeah. lived in the closet so lived that he could save money on rent. And I Airbnb'd, then he Airbnb'd yeah. his closet yeah. and slept on a couch. So I, I, I really cut back on that. Honestly, my biggest generator was the room that I had, thanks to Airbnb, because I could generate in 10 days of renting my room yeah. the rent for the month. Oh, it's a great story, though. Yeah. So, dude, we're in Brazil. <laughs> no money. Student loans are coming, rent's coming. So you're airbnb your room, you're tutoring Brazilians in English, you're doing SAT tutoring, you liquidated your 401k. Yeah, that was the other thing. So You did everything that you could. So the company that I'd worked for for a year and a half, they matched whatever 3% they put into your 401k. And then there's a penalty if you take it out. Good news was that penalty is assessed on the base. You get pay 10% and then you pay, well, if you're making this much money, you're gonna have to pay taxes on it. I wasn't making any money, so I didn't have to pay any taxes on it. So <laughs> it was actually a decent deal for me to take whatever $2,000 out. But no, the question for how did Charlie quit his job and go full time on this was he did everything he possibly yeah. could. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there was anything else, uh, but I also had a list. I had a long list of possibilities that I didn't even get to. One of them was busk on the street. Play guitar, pl- play yeah. guitar, beg, beg for, for dollars. Uh, 
pick up a bartending job at a real because I couldn't bartend at a, a terrible bar was on there. There was there was a lot of options. Babysit whatever I could do. Yeah. No, to... and I think there was no ego involved. The question, the the mindset was: we want to be entrepreneurs. We want to run a business we care about. We want to work for ourselves when we want. Okay, what are we willing to do to get there? Kind of whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm gonna sleep on the couch. No ego. I'm not too good for this. I'm gonna bartend. I'm gonna teach SAT. I'm gonna take my retirement fund and just pay the penalty just to get the cash because yeah. I need it desperately. And I'm not gonna beat myself up about the oh my god I'm, it's not going well like you were never really that upset about doing these things well, it was so, just part of the process yeah so so that answers your your question of what i did but i think the mindset that what allowed us to do that might be even more interesting sure and so there were there were two pieces one is i don't know that this is true for everybody but it's true for a lot of people who come from america and and anywhere from middle class ish which is the worst thing that could happen and the worst thing that could happen to me was not starving mm-hmm. and it was not sleeping outside i knew that there would be a roof over my head and low quality food in my belly worst case scenario no matter what yeah. so the worst case scenario was discomfort not being able to do the things that i wanted not being able to acquire any new thing not being able to travel and potentially having to go beg for a similar job at a pay cut that i'd had when i left mm-hmm. and so knowing that my worst case scenario was totally survivable pay cut from what i've already did after having gave it a risk yeah was huge well that's the thing we were so you went full-time on the business before i did and mm-hmm. i was doing the part-time thing he's talking about working and then working on the side and we said we'll just switch it if charlie runs out of money charlie will go get another consulting job and i'll be full-time on the business and it was just like we'll just do this forever until it works and even if you don't have a partner i i tend to believe that uh, you can find some kind of work at a pay cut, work a lot of hours. And so the plan was like, okay, if it has to be for 10 years, six months of trying, six months back to a job, six months of trying, six months back to a job, I'll do that. I was willing, mm-hmm. I, I just knew that I didn't want to be 40, 50, or 60, having never given it a shot. And there was a 10-year time horizon that we were like, we got a decade to mm-hmm. make this work. Uh, so that was that was a huge part of what enabled it. And to your point, I do think that when you have a when you have a main gig mm-hmm. and the business is the side gig, what's stopping you from breaking through in the side gig is often a lack of resourcefulness. Mm-hmm. And nothing breeds resourcefulness like necessity. Mm-hmm. So when having this thing which really kind of keeps you comfortable and it makes you tired, it's tough to give this yeah, the love that it needs. Oh, I got to get up at 8 a.m. again. It's 5. Why would I'm I want to make that hard phone call? Yeah. Oh, I got to do a sales thing. Oh, I got to redesign the website. I'll you're, do it tomorrow. You're going to do what's comfortable for the business. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to tweak the website, but you're not going to do the things that are uncomfortable that will actually drive it forward. So yeah. I don't recommend this for everybody and not knowing your particular circumstances, I can't recommend it to you. But one thing to consider is that your job might be hurting your business. You, burning the boats it's not really burning them but like temporarily burning the boats might be the best thing because we had we had 10 people who did this some of them went back to the corporate world Mm -hmm. none of them starved none of them missed a meal and none of them didn't have a roof over their head Mm -hmm. so the worst case scenario was for many of them embarrassment a lack of disposable income uh and that was really it Yeah, yeah that was really it so if that is your case, I don't know, you may have kids, you may have all these other things that make it more complicated than that. You are so much more free and you have so much less to lose than I think most people yeah. imagine. So just consider that that may be the case for you. 
Remember when you were living off of one meal of chicken a day and yeah. then Brazilian weight gainer powder was where the rest of your calories came it from? It was awful. Like I was sawdust and poison. Yeah. No, Our I Brazilian was... <laughs> friend came over and was like, oh my God, you're, you're eating this? Yeah. I... Uh, Hilarious. Dude. I couldn't be more than I like a block away from a bathroom at any time because <laughs> I was so. Well, our friend who's was born so in Brazil was like, dude, I would never <laughs> consume this supplement. You're like, oh, it's two of my meals. Yeah. I eat chicken once and then that's two of my meals. Yeah. We went to one party. I'd like saved up to be able to go to one party. Like and $10 the food, cover. Uh, no, the, the, the Halloween one. This was like a $70 party. I'd saved up to be able to go to this. Yeah. And because of what I was eating, I was so sick that I spent the entire, I didn't even drink. I spent the entire night in the bathroom just throwing up. <laughs> it was so bad. You went hard, dude. It was, it was great. Yeah. And, and it was worth it. it yeah. even, even without the, without the breakthrough, it was a great time. So not knowing your circumstances, I can't advise it. If you are a single unattached young person, you've got more freedom and less to lose than you realize and a ton to gain. So go for it. <laughs> That's my recommendation. Is that it? That was it this week. Cool. Okay, thanks for hanging out with us for an hour or so, guys. Have a wonderful hour week. and a half, man. Yeah, we'll talk. Uh, was there anything we wanted to say? If you'd like to write in, do so in the description. Yeah, Angel, in the description, put a link to the documentary and put a link where people can write in to have us call them. Yep. Got it. And if there were parts that you did like or did not like, let us know the segments that mm -hmm. we did. If we were all over the place, if we interrupted each other, if we whatever we did, let us know. You like that I'm not wearing pants this week? <laughs> I got some thigh showing. Yeah, I've, I've, I've had I've had full thigh this. You whole go, time. Ben. Please, pants for the love of God. <laughs> let us know because we want to get better, and we don't know what's good. Yeah. <laughs> so we appreciate you guys watching. Appreciate you letting us know. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.